You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. All right, good morning again. How are we doing this morning? Good. Well, I'm good too, in Jesus. And we just want to, again, remind um, all of us to be praying for all of those who are sick right now. We even have some of our staff that's not feeling well, so we want to keep them lifted up in prayer. And I do thank you guys for praying for me as I get ready to be traveling to California in a couple weeks. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, I would like you to open them to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're at now. We're going to be kind of working through and kind of looking at a 30,000-foot perspective, verses 1 through 16. And as we continue to march forward in this Ephesians series, I want to remind you that it's titled Our Story into God's Story. And it's all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. But now, this is what I love saying, because we've been saying that now for many months, but now it's about discovering what are we then called to do? What are we called to do? And so if you were not here last week, or just as a reminder of what we talked about in part 13, it was titled Preparing to Love, Have Peace, and be unified. And basically we learned that um, we all need sometimes a refreshener of what's going on in scripture. And so we talked about how Ephesians is a deeply theological book that has so many important things for our life. And we talked about how basically Ephesians can be broken up into two segments. And um, chapters one through three is really the, uh, a doctrinal section. It's about our beliefs. Who, who do we believe God is and what do we believe God has done? That's what we've been exploring. And now we're moving into the second um, segment of this book chapters four through six and really it's where things get practical what are we now to do in light of who god is and so in ephesians chapter four through six we learn what does it mean to walk in unity and purity and harmony and then ultimately and this is the good thing about being a christian in victory right and so we learn that ephesians teaches us to sit before the god of the universe and then to walk out the things that make um, us Um, adopted and chosen children of God. And then we stand by faith, believing that. And then we learn that we should never perform, remember this, any actions without first meditating upon the rations of the blessings of God, rations before actions. And then we learn that humility and gentleness are important qualities that we need to 
we need in order to dwell together properly in unity. And then finally, and then I'm really eager about this, we were given an Ephesians eager project. And have you been taking that seriously? And that brings us to today, part 14, titled God's Unexpected Remedy for All Calamities. Okay, for all problems, all sicknesses, all things, God has a solution. God has a plan. Then that's what we're going to be exploring today. And so this remains our aim. If this is your first time here, or just as a reminder, no matter who you are, we want you to have an encounter in this book of the Bible like you've never had before. So here we are in chapter four of Ephesians. And now Paul is basically taking his eyes off of God directly in God's glory. And that's what we've been looking at for guess how long? Almost five months now. We've been looking at God alone and God's glory. And so, so far, Paul's been saying, God's done this and God's done that. And God said this and God said that and God provided this and God provided that. And now in chapter four, we're transitioning from all of what God's done and said and provided. And now Paul says, now you do this. Now you do this. Now that's good news because most of us want to know what we're supposed to do, right? We all want to know what we're supposed to do. We're looking for that clarity all the time. We're always searching for that. We do it as kids. We grow as adults and we're constantly searching for what are we supposed to be doing with our lives. So listen to me. It's really simple. God made you with a purpose for such a time as this that you're living in to just be you. You tracking with me? God made you to be you simply yet somehow supernaturally just you. And I don't care how you feel. I don't care what your circumstances are. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is calling you simply to be you by abiding in him. That means abiding means to literally hang out with him, to literally dwell with them. Because if you do this and you abide in that chapter one through three knowledge and truth about God, you're going to have the deep roots to have all the fruit you would ever want in life. That's where transformation happens at the root level. When you know who God is, chapters one through three. But so often we get so stressed out with pressure trying to make all the right decisions in the things that we do, don't we? Um, I need to marry the right person. I need to go to the right college. I need to have the right career. I need to make sure I'm living the right purpose. But, and, I, and trust me, I get that pressure. We all want to be doing the right thing. It's part of being a Christian, this anxiety about doing the right thing. But I want you to know that most of that pressure is not biblical. It's a self we do that to ourselves. We put it on ourselves. It's not a biblical pressure. It is a cultural pressure. God's primary concern is not, this is going to be pretty flagrant, ready? God's primary concern is not who you marry, not what job you do, not um, all the intricacies of how you make every single decision. What he's obsessed with, what God's primarily concerned with is abiding in him, abiding in him. So Christ says in scripture, above all else, I just want you to abide in me. I want you to literally dwell with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. If you haven't read the book of Acts, I want to encourage you right now to make that a goal. Okay. If you have never read through the book of Acts, I want to make that a goal for you in 2020. Now, Ephesians is still going to be our top priority for a large portion of 2020. But if you can add the book of Acts as some of your personal devotion time, let me tell you why that would be a really good idea. Because the book of Acts is all about the church beginning. Got that? And we're a new church. The book of Acts is all about the church being established right in the middle of culture gone crazy. 
That's what the book of Acts is about. God planting his church in the midst of a culture gone bonkers. Jesus declares that he's not going to fix. This is what he does in Acts. Do you know this? Jesus declares up front in the book of Acts that he's not going to fix all of our problems and all the things in our culture in the ways that we often expect. That's not how he's going to change everything. And so the book of Acts is so important for us to have a transformation of our expectations and perspectives. But this is what he says. Instead, this is what we're, you'll find out that Jesus says in the book of Acts. He says, I'm going to plant my church. That's going to be my answer. And no one, no one's going to expect that to be my remedy. And so, so often we have all these problems going on. And so there are problems in Rome and there were problems going on in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, no worries. I know I see the problems and I'm going to plant my church. That's going to be the remedy. And we have problems now, right? We have problems going on in Washington, DC. We got problems going on in Chicago, racial tensions. Jesus is saying, no problem. I got a solution. I'm going to plant my church. That's going to be my answer. But so often we're saying, Lord, can't you just change this and just change that? Just move these circumstances. Aren't you the God of the universe? Don't we say that sometimes? Like, God, you're, you're a big God. Just make it go away. Just speak it. You spoke the whole creation to existence. Just make it go away. But that's not how it works. We see that throughout scripture. That is not the common answer that Jesus does divinely and supernaturally just making things presto go away. So this is our first takeaway. Despite our frequent requests for the Lord to change our outer world, that's the key word, despite our request for him to change our outer world and circumstances, he often denies our request. Man, that's a hard thing. Words like God in denial. <laughs> Instead, God provides an unexpected remedy for our calamities, namely the church, namely the church. Okay. So I have a whole lot to say. The Bible has a whole lot to proclaim. So we're going to jump right into Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six right now. So we can get rolling. Now, do you want to know what's really cool uh, about this passage that we didn't cover last week? I'm going to show you in a minute. Here we go. I, therefore, a, this is Paul talking, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. That's an important scripture right there, right? We want to know what to do with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. This is the one hope that belongs to your call, your purpose, your things to do with your life. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and end all. So do you know what's really cool in this passage that we did not look at last week? Look at this. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is always at peace? Oh, this is good news. The Holy Spirit is always at peace. Look at that in verse three, eager to maintain, not establish, not find, not search, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, what does this mean? It means that you and I, this is super important for your life. You and I do not need to go around running around trying to find peace all the time. That pursuit of trying to find peace will leave me and you exhausted. 
Instead, we need to position ourselves near the spirit who is always at peace. You tracking? I don't want this just to be in our heads, like theological. Think about this. Don't go trying to find peace in yourself or in your circumstances or in your house or in your money or your family. Peace is found in God. God embodies peace. We need to be near God if we want peace. If you can't see, this is another rations before actions anthem, right? Like this, before you start proceeding with more actions to find peace, more money, more, more this, more that, more food, more, more sex, more whatever. Before you go try to go do an action to find peace, Paul says, stop, sit before the chapters one through three, God of the universe, and remember that he is your peace. Then walk that out. We can just go home right there. That's everything. Sit before the God of the universe and know that he is your peace before you do an action. That is good news. Sit, walk, stand. Now, Paul gives us many, many reasons that we should keep and be a part of this maintaining of the spirit of peace that the Holy Spirit offers. Let me explain. If I'm mad at you right now, if I'm mad, if I'm mad at Pastor Jack, my literal physical body is going to be tense and I'm going to be afflicting myself. My body is going to be afflicted. Or if I think that I have less value than other people here, if I believe in my heart that I'm not as valuable as other people here, I'm actually dividing myself from those that I consider more than me. I'm like, man, I'm not as good as these people here. They're, they're more than me. And when I do that and I ignore that God says that we're literally one in him, I'm afflicting the whole body with this false belief. I'm hurting myself. I'm not being in unity because I think I'm less than. Do you struggle with that? I just don't feel I'm as good as other people around me. But if I think that I'm more, more valuable than other people here, I'm still dividing myself. If I think that I'm more valuable than you, because if I think that I'm better than people here, I'm separating my heart from you guys and I'm afflicting the whole body with my pride and my arrogance. However, if we desire and discern how we can maintain and keep the bond of unity together with patience and humility and gentleness and all these things, if we remember that we have one body, one hope, one savior, one Lord, right? All the things we just read, then we're going to be in the posture to maintain that peace. You're not less than, you're not more than. We have to watch our anger. We have to be loving and gentle, maintaining unity. Listen, Jillian and I, we're constantly trying to teach this to our kids. Dwell together in unity and stop trying to kill each other all the time. It doesn't really work that often, but we try, right? Like be on the same page. This is the fundamental aspect of every relationship. Listen, guys, before we can go dive deep into chapter five and six and talk about all these advanced relationships, like parenting a child or mar marriage and all these different sophisticated relationships, we need to understand how to have the fundamental relationship as a family of God first. If we can't love each other with gentleness and kindness and not be divided, we have no hope in our marriages, no hope as families and no hope as parents. So let's get back to this example with the kids. We want them to color together, dwell together, watch TV together, be in unity together. But what they don't understand is when they fight and they argue and they're not kind to each other, when they do that, their heart condition and their behavior not only afflicts them 
but it afflicts me and Jillian. The whole Rochelle family is afflicted just by their actions. And when me and my wife are in division and we're arguing and we're not being in unity, it doesn't just afflict Jillian. It doesn't just afflict me. It afflicts Aiden and Aubrey. The whole Rochelle family unit is afflicted. Do you want that? Think about your own families. When you are arguing, it afflicts everything. It ripple effects everywhere. And this is true for the body of Christ. And we have to be mindful of that. So if this is true, and it is, what does God want for you and for me to do about all this division? We, what does God have to say about the division going on in our culture right now? And what does God have to say about the community that you live in and the divisions that, that's there? What does God have to say about the division in all of our marriages and our families that are going on right now? Is God going to change our circumstances? Is God going to change all of this division? What is he going to do? Well, often God's answer is no. At least no, I'm not going to change it in the ways you think. God does not change our circumstances by presto, making it go away. Instead, this is what God usually says to us. You ready? He usually says, I won't change your circumstances. I'm not going to change your environment. Right? How many of us want that? Go, God, I just wish I was somewhere else. No, no, he doesn't change your environment. He doesn't remove the division. Instead, he says, I'm going to allow you to be in it, and I'm going to get working on you. You want things to change? I'm going to get working on you. Wow. Can't you see? This is God's master plan, the church, the body of Christ. You and I are the unexpected remedy to fix all calamities on the planet. You and me and the rest of our brothers and sisters called the body of Christ. And I'm just letting you know ahead of time because we're going to be talking about this all day long today as we march through this series. So, I mean, this, this sermon. So when Paul says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, verse 1, Paul is literally about to give a description of how we are to do that. He says, look, now that Christ has done everything for you, proclaimed in chapters 1 through 3, this is how I want you to respond. Do this, do that, do this, do that out of what God has done. So here's your next fill in the blank. So what are you then called to do? What are you called to do? As the unexpected remedy of God to the world, we are a people called. So now we're doing something. Now we're not just knowing who we are. We got to do. We are called to rest. <laughs> Look at our first do is rest. <laughs> we are called to rest in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It still takes action to rest. We'll talk about that. Um, with the Holy Spirit who maintains our inner peace with incredible rations of grace before we engage with any action towards establishing outer peace in the world. We do this so that we do not afflict ourselves or other members of our body. Are you in division with someone in this church? Do you have any feelings, any harboring? Do you have anything going on at home? You need to be eager to maintain the peace. Why? Because God has a plan for us. We're the agents and the ambassadors, the hope of the world. We are the remedy for all the problems. And we can't fix anything in Christ if we're in division. Let's look at verse 7. We're going to march through because we're just, this, is just our, this is the opening speech. <laughs> but grace was given to each one of us. This is verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, everyone right now should be super excited with our hands going, Woo, that's me, that's me, that's me. Look at, uh, let, let me read, but grace was given to each one of us. You're in the Bible. You made the book. I made 
the book. That's awesome. So it's for everybody here. Grace was given. Grace was given. It's incredible. Listen, it's so easy to just arbitrarily say like, oh yeah, I get it. Um, grace was given to me. God loves me. But, but Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. Don't miss out on how big this is. This is something incredible. Lean in. You and me have been given a special measure of grace for specific purposes from the God of the universe to walk out our call in a manner that's worthy. And it's a big deal. It's amazing for God's kingdom. So as we prepare to dwell in unity, to maintain that, that spirit of peace, we need to also be prepared. And this is where our church is being ready to march into. We need to be prepared to examine, know, and act upon our calling. Do you know yours? Not what you do, not what you say. Do you know who you are? Do you know what God has called you to do? And are you living that out in your life? Because we all have special gifts that need to be explored. Every single person in here has special gifts. We have, the Bible says we have natural gifts and we have spiritual gifts. Do you know the difference? Do you know what a natural gift is according to God? Do you know what a spiritual gift is according to God? And are you doing anything with it? This is what we're going to be learning about. Because if you don't know your gifts and you're not walking them out, you're living less than, than your best life that God has called you to for his glory, but for your fulfillment, for your joy, for your satisfaction. And you're going to live your whole life wanting for more. Let's look at Ephesians verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Tracking, he gave gifts to men. Now, th this is awesome. This is legit. This is a picture of Christ redeeming the whole world when he died on the cross, was buried, died for three days, and then he ascended. Now, I want you to watch the Lord inspire Paul right now as he makes this next two verses come to life. This is, we're just opening up right now, so that's why I'm marching through. Let's look, at, let's look at this. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So basically, Paul is reiterating that Jesus died on the cross. He descended into the earth for three days and three nights. And then some will actually use the imagery of saying he, he uh, went three days and three nights into the belly of the well as imagery of the fulfillment of Jonah. But however you look at it, Paul is saying that Jesus literally went to go and minister to the captives and to set them free. This is what Jesus did. And then when he did that, he gave good gifts. He died on the cross, died for three days, rose, and gave good gifts. We're going to be talking about that more in just a little bit in the sermon. But what I want you to see right now is that Jesus literally was hung on a cross, pierced his wrist, pierced his side, bled out, died. We literally murdered our Savior. Do you, do you get that? We murdered our Savior, and he was buried for three days, and he was still doing work on our behalf while he was dead. <laughs> Jesus is so rich, so wide, so big in mercy. He is not like you and me in that he gives good gifts even when we deny him, reject him, choose the world and our families and our circumstances before him. He's not like us that he still gives us good things. Now, I don't know about you, but I know this much. If I was murdered, my family would not be jumping to give anybody good gifts. If someone murdered me, 
the first response of my family, no disrespect family, is they would not be jumping up and down to give you a gift. And I can tell you, I have some people in my family, unfortunately, that may give you a gift of a bullet. <laughs> right? And we know this is true. We know that. We, we talk about these things. If somebody ever did that to my kid, I'd do this and I'd do that. But our Lord was murdered by us. And what did he do in response? He gave good gifts. That's an amazing, amazing truth. So Paul is sort of looking around and he's seeing all this and he's like, man, we've been given this incredible chance to live with the God of the universe, with all these good gifts. And I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. I want you to get in the game. I want you to go do this. And I want you to go do that. And so we don't want to waste this awesome opportunity we have because of the blood of Christ. Like, let me tell you how special you are to the Lord. Did you know that literally you have every single person has a different um, retina pattern in their eye than anybody else in the whole universe? Did you know that no one's the same? Did you know that your tongue and your thumbprint is radically unique and no one else in the whole universe has your thumbprint, that, that intricate level of detail that God has put into you? Like you are so unique. Listen to me. Some of us have super discouragement. You are so unique, so loved, so special to God that he created you so individual. <laughs> we are so unique, special, yet diverse while somehow being called to be unified. Paul is tripping out. Basically he's writing in light chain house. This is what you, like, how could Paul survive? How did he do this with these circumstances? Cause he's caught up in his mind in the heavenly places saying, are you kidding me? I, I, I'm individual. You're individual. You're different. You're different, but we're called to be unified. <laughs> That's how he spent his time. Wow. Just be you is what called. God created you. He created me to be who we are. He doesn't want me to be Pastor Jack. He doesn't want Pastor Jack to be me. He wants you to be you, radically you. You're enough. You are enough. Let's look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. This is what he gave. He's given a lot of things. He's giving a lot of things. So do you believe that he gave all these special offices just to build fancy churches? Fancy pastors to build fancy churches. No, he gave all these offices so they could serve the church. This is why he did this. So this is a big fat no. This is a huge, huge no to all the celebrity pastors that we make much of. This fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, this is supposed to govern every single church everywhere. And it's for the purpose of equipping people, not celebrating people. All leadership positions are to serve God's people. That is why I'm here to serve you, to love you, to exhort you, not for you to lift me up. We need to not do that in our culture. Let's look at verse 13. Um, let's look at verse uh, 12 that shows this. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip. That's what we just talked about to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So for, for forever and ever, the next time you arrive at a church, even if you're not here at redemption one day, and if you do not see in the DNA of that church, that the pastors and the leaders are there to serve you and to equip you for good works. And it is a culture where you are always trying to serve them. Something has went wrong. Verse 13. So he gave these five offices, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Ready? How long do we do this? 
How long does God want us to do this? I'm laying out purpose and calling right now. We're going to get to your individual gifts, but we got to get this. How long are we supposed to do this church thing? Okay, here we go. Until we all, some, no, until we all attain, who's the all? Not every single person, everybody's not called to be a Christian. All that God has planned, every chosen person, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is what God's saying. We're in it and we're doing it this way. This is the plan. This is the design. This is the solution. We're going to do this until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of who Jesus is. To mature into a full woman of God. To mature into a full man of God. To the measure. How, how, how mature is a woman of God? How mature as a man of God? Into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until you are filled and full of Christ. Jeez, Paul's basically saying the church is redeemed with gifts and graces and all these different positions and offices and governments. They're all ordained by God for one purpose, and that's to grow up a church into maturity, to be like Christ. This is what we're all here for, to grow up into maturity and to be like Christ. Therefore, when you see me wearing this wristband all the time that says, what would Jesus do? It's just me joining in the game that Ephesians is telling me to do in Ephesians chapter four, to be like Jesus, to grow up, Brandon, to be like Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm calling other men to do. When we come to men's dead night to join me in this women, you can wear it too. It's not just for men. What would Jesus do? I want to be like Jesus in my thoughts, my actions, my beliefs, my anger, when I'm sad, when I'm disappointed, I want to be full of Christ, full of wisdom, full in that stature. This is why we do that. It's an opportunity to ask myself, what would Jesus do? in this moment that I may not enjoy. Listen, this should be our number one goal in life, to be like Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. This is what the whole world's about, becoming like Jesus. If you have any other goal, you've heard this before, but we need to, we need to wake up. If you literally have another goal, like, oh, no, I don't. Jesus is my number one. I gave my tithes. Stop it. If you're not focusing on Christ and you are radically focused on your marriage before Christ, your marriage is not going to glorify God. If you are radically focused on your 401k and building up your storehouse and you are not leaning in with the same effort and intentionality and intensity in your time with the Lord, your devotion time with the Lord, being never Lord, you're not doing it in the way that he's called you to do it. You're not glorifying him. If anything else is not your number one goal, if anything else is superseding your affections besides Jesus, you're already off target. The goal, the goal is Jesus every day, every morning, every night. Your goal is not to be the best son you can, not to be the best daughter you can, not to be the best husband you can, not to be the best wife you can, not to be the best pastor you can, not to be the best carpenter or teacher or mother or anything. Your goal is to, is to abide and dwell with the God of the universe to become like him. Because if you do that, that's going to trickle into every other relationship and every other role you have. And you're going to do it well. You're going to do it well. Let's look at, let's look at verse 14. We're just going to march through this. So that, why are we doing all this? Hold on. This is, this is until we obtain this unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, full stature of, of fullness in Christ, so that we may no longer be children. <laughs> let me, let me, I'm going to say it even more clear. So that you cannot be an idiot. tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wave of doctrine. So you don't just, just be so finicky all the time. Uh, now I can't do this because this just happened. Uh, my marriage had a little, a little ripple and now I'm throwing my, my hands up like a kid throwing a temper tantrum. 
by every, by every wave of doctrine, everybody that says they believe something differently, and then you cower because you have no conviction by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is the things that we need to watch out for. Now, do you realize that there's a lot of false beliefs and doctrines just permeating all over the world right now? Did you know that? People all around the world are literally believing the craziest things. I'm gonna, you you want to know one of the craziest things that people believe? I'm going to share one with you. It's one of the craziest things people believe. This is going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy, okay? Do you know that people actually believe it's one of their main beliefs and doctrines of their life that uh, if they make enough money, they're going to be satisfied? Isn't that crazy? I don't know. Have you ever met somebody like that? Or are you one of them? Do, do, do you know that somebody act, people actually believe out here that if they make enough money, they're going to be satisfied? Isn't that crazy? Do you know that that's not it? Do you know that there's some people that actually believe they're going to be satisfied if their marriages are just perfect? Did you know that, Pastor Jack? That if your marriage is perfect, you're going to be happy. Do you know people believe that's crazy? Do you know that there's some people that actually believe that if their kids are just super intelligent and they get really good grades and they go to college, like, you know, like a big Harvard, Yale, that they're going to be happy? Do you know people believe that? That's crazy. No, they believe these things out here. There's more. Do you know that some people actually believe if they have more than one home that they're going to be satisfied and secure? Do you, isn't that crazy? People believe that too. I got one more for you. Do you know that some people believe if they travel around the world, they're going to be happy and satisfied? People, isn't it cra- people believe the craziest things. But what Paul is saying is that this is filled with human cunningness and deception. Okay, deception of the soul to believe in these things that they're going to be fully satisfying. And he's reminding us, hey, you're going to be disappointed if you put your hope in there. Focus on God, abide in him and let him be your compass. Jesus is the goal. Instead, if we choose the narrow road, Jesus is the light, the way, the hope. And that's how we're going to be walking in step with Christ where we can fully have peace because that's what we really want. We're not even looking. Satisfied, what does that mean to be satisfied? What we're looking for is to be at peace with ourselves, with our relationships, and with God. And Paul's telling us how to do that. Let's keep reading. Verse 15 through 16, or, or, or a portion of 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, every way. In your speech, and your conduct, First uh, Timothy, speech, conduct, all these things. Uh, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, f- from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now, do you see that part right there where it says, uh, whom the whole body? That, that's awesome. We made the book again. You're in the book. <laughs> Did you know that? I always wanted, when I was a kid, I wanted to be in books. Like, oh, I want to see my name in a book. You're in the book. You're in one of the best, most famous books in the world. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's high five worthy, but we got the virus going around. So it's fine. This is serious. We made the book. Now, I want you to ponder with me real quick um, on this reality. A lot of time there's pictures and illustrations that we use to illustrate or to illuminate a, a teaching principle, right? Jesus did this all the time. So we have Paul right here and he's illustrating with the physical body to teach a principle about the church, okay? Regarding unity and how there's unity in the body, yet there's incredible diversity of the body and how somehow that's all being held together. Now, I, I was just thinking about this when I was preparing. I want to share it with you. Um, Now, do you think in God's incredible and incalculable imagination, he designed the, I even wrote this down, let me see, I want to say this right. Do you think that he designed the church in his mind first in light of our physical bodies? This is deep. I'm going to start over. Do you believe that God designed in his mind first the church in light of our physical bodies? 
Or were our physical bodies designed in light of the church? That's deep. <laughs> what do you think? Let, let me tell you what I think um, I see in Scripture. The church, above all things, is the ultimate dream of God. The church. Listen, the church is his plan A, his plan B, his plan C, D, E, F, G, and all the way to Z. The church. It's almost like God was saying, how can I make these people who aren't even, even in existence yet, how can I help them really understand my heart and my mind and my mission? Oh, oh I know what I'm going to do. It's like God's like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to form man out of dust and I'm going to make woman come from man and I'm going to craft them with this physical body. And it's all going to be made for the purpose to paint a picture and to principalize my mission and my heart. Pay attention. Our bodies, our physical bodies are not just some second whimsical thought that God had. Our physical bodies are the first thoughts of God made with intentionality in order to illustrate his master plan for the church. That's super deep. Oh my goodness. Let's, let, let's keep reading the, the, the last part of verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love so that it builds itself up in love now the bible says that faith comes from hearing the word of god right i think it says that in romans 10 or something like that 10 verse 17 test all things let me know and i'm praying that the simplicity of today's message that we're kind of at the halfway point of we're going to pray right now for the holy spirit to help us with the second half i'm praying that the simplicity of what i'm trying to communicate would really get you fired up for your life as we start to talk about giftings and callings and purpose and, and all these things. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to ask God to let these words of scripture fall on soft soils of our hearts. And then as it falls on prayerfully on soft soils of the heart, I'm going to see with the power of the word of God, if we can dig that soil even deeper holes, right? So the roots have room to grow deeper. And then I'm going to pray that we can kind of cover with the word of God even more good soil so that we can be prepared to be defend the birds of the air and Satan's attacks and all these things. Okay. So let's do this because when the trials of resistance come, I want us to flex our muscles of the faith. That's what I want for us. Let's do this. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. We want the Holy Spirit right in the middle of our summer. We can do that because we're the people of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have read your word and we are all here in what I like to call real time church, Lord. This is the time that counts so much, Lord. I enjoy, Lord, watching sermons online and listening to podcasts. And I love studying history. Lord, helps me understand what's going on in culture. But there's nothing like real time in church, physical bodies in church, Lord. This is me. This is your people. This is us gathering to have an encounter with you. We want an encounter with you. So, Jesus, in your name, may there be a transformation from the inside out in every person here today. May there be a blessing upon your body. May those sitting here today with sore muscles of their faith be healed and restored so they can flex even more when they move forward. And Lord, and Lord, I say this from the bottom of my heart. If, if anybody has broken bones right now and fractures, Lord, if, if anyone here has found themselves damaged and injured by, by life, may your word be healing to their bones. 
healing to their bodies. So to the church, Lord, whom I believe your scripture says is the healing agent of the Lamb, I pray in your name for clarity and for, and for strength and for purpose and for energy and desire. Desire, Lord, give us an affectional desire to walk out that which you've called us to do, Lord, so that we can proclaim that you reign and we can go absolutely bonkers with our joy, Lord, in you. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me with the special gifts you've given me as I exhort your word. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Let me just start off with asking everybody a question that I think we all can be in agreement to. How is the world going right now? How do you think the world is going right now? I think we all know it's going terrible, <laughs> right? It's going nuts. And we only know and see what we see. Imagine how God sees how terrible and how nuts it's going. Things are scary all over the world. And we're always doing our best as a world in the ways that the world thinks, trying to fix it. There are shootings and prejudices and attacks and murders. There's natural problems going on like floods and earthquakes and tornadoes and, 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 and fires. We have people getting sick. We got coronavirus going around. We got disease, cancer. We got people with moral failures going on, divorces, sexual sin. How are things going in the world? It's going, it's going terrible, horrible. So what now? Like, what's going to happen now? What do we do next? Maybe you, like me, like most decent people, we want to know how things can change for the better. Right? A, a normal, decent person, even those who are not believers, are like, how can we make the world better? How can things change? Perhaps you may be thinking that that change is going to happen primarily through maybe political legislative changes, new regimes coming in, or environments changing around you. Maybe you think if you move to another country, there's going to be more peaceful because America's going to hell. We got those right. America's going to hell. Like, whatever you think, maybe that's how you think things are going to change. Every, well, here's what you know every single generation, since the beginning of time, has been looking for things to change. Every single generation. If you're in history like me, that was my major. Every, every single nation, every single culture has been looking for things to change. <clears throat> but did you know that 100 years ago, the same, uh, we got some smart people in here, so you guys know it's true. Do you know 100 years ago, the same things that are happening now were happening then? Just different jacket, different store, different model. Same stuff. Did you know that the same things that were happening 2,000 years ago are still happening today? Same division, same, same jealousy, envy, strife, same stuff. <clears throat> Throughout history, there's been wars upon wars, terrorism, behind, terrorism upon terrorism, crazy acts upon crazy acts. Our generation isn't really any different than any other previous generation. Just look different, talk different, listen to different music. Listen, all you have to do is read history. That's all you got to do. Read history to see that it's repeating itself over and over and over. And the Bible says, not only is it the same, it's the same and it's worsening. That's what the Bible tells us. It's worsening. Yet we want things to change, don't we? We want things to change. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years ago, the children of Israel were looking to Jesus, just like we look to Jesus. And they were super super excited. And so in Acts chapter one, I'm going to keep plugging you there because it's my hope is that you jump into Acts chapter one. So in Acts chapter one, basically Jesus had rose from the grave and, um, and, and, and he, and they were, and he said, um, so I'm sorry. And the people were like, man, dude, you died on the cross. We weren't really, 
uh, we weren't really a big fan of that. Don't do that again, Jesus. You really freaked us out. We, we lost all hope. Um, but, but somehow you, you, rose from, you rose from the grave and you did it. So, so, so that's good. You're going to stick around this time, though, aren't you? In fact, here was their exact question they posed in, um, in Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a little, a, little, a little detour to Acts chapter 1, verse 6 right now. You ready? This is what it says. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let me say, let's, let's bring it. It's like a 2020 narrative. Lord, are you going to fix everything? Are you going to change everything? Are you going to make everything better? Are you going to provide us with new cultural laws? Are you going to provide new gun legislative um, legislation? Are you going to provide better policing and training? Are you going to provide better presidents? <clears throat> Excuse me. Better presidents, all those things. Are you going to fix it all now? And do you know what Jesus said in the very next verse? Uh-uh. No. Not the way you think. Let's see it. Verse 7 and 8. It's nice to be an axe. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends, to the end of the earth. Therefore, Jesus is saying it is not for you and for me to know how I'm going to go about fixing every little thing in this world. It is not for you and me to know that the father how does it say that the father has fixed by his own authority. I'm not going to do the things in the ways that you want me to do it, but here's what I'm going to do. Ready? Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do. You shall receive power. It's always going after us. You shall receive power. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, okay, I, I'm listening, disciples. I'm listening, disciples, 2,000 years ago. I hear you, 2020 disciples. There's political unrest. Uh-huh. Got it. Uh, bad policing going on? Understood. Racial tensions? Understood. Misplaced desires? <clears throat> Got it. Taking notes. Broken sexuality? Gabriel. Write it down. Everything else. Illnesses, diseases? Michael. You got that? He's, he's aware. And he says, here's my solution. I'm not going to change culture the way you want but I'm going to plant my church. <laughs> it's like repetitive. You know, Jesus is so, so, so smart that he just says one thing because <laughs> we're slow and he needs us to keep hearing it. I'm going to plant my church. The church is going to be my agents of hope, grace, forgiveness, healing. The church is going to be the salt and the light of the whole world to preserve a dying world. I'm going to be with you, in you, for you, among you, and do everything for you. I'm going to be with you. I'll be everything you need, but I'm going to do it through you. You're going to be my body. You're going to be my hands and my feet and my mouth. Now, did you know that the word witness in Greek is martero? Do you know that that word means? It means martyr. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus was saying that he wants us to live and die to ourselves so that we are now positioned as a reborn again Christian to impact the world. But that happens from the inside out. Roots into fruit, not fruit to roots. From the inside out. Yet isn't it true that we just want to basically go around fixing our outer world and our outer selves? Isn't that, come on, be honest with yourself. Usually we want our outer circumstances to change. That's all we really want from the Bible most of the time. Most nominal Christians come to church to figure out how to change their outside world. Fix me, fix me, fix them, fix this, fix stuff. That's what we usually come to the Bible for. But did you know that without true change from the inside out, 
All we're really asking for is fancy behavioral modification. And Caitlin would tell you, she's, a, she's studying psychology with kids, she would tell you that that's not really good behavioral modification. There needs to be work done from the inside, from the inside out. But that's what the world wants. They just, they don't, they're not interested in soul transformation. The world's not interested in that. They're interested in things looking nice and shiny and pretty from the outside. Is that what you want? Superficialities? That's what you really want? Do you want to look good, feel good, but be rotten on the inside? Is that what you want? No, we want to be healed from the inside, permeating with true healing on the outside. Because listen, let me tell you, if all you really want is external transformation, all you need is two things. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but I'll let you know. This is what you need if you want to solve, solve it all. This is the two things you need. Wi-Fi and Pinterest. Wi-Fi and Pinterest will change everything for you. I'm being dead serious. Listen, everybody on Pinterest is smarter than us. You know that. There's some geniuses on there. And so all you have to do is look things up on Pinterest and then copy what they're doing and then presto. All of a sudden, your home is beautiful, everything's beautiful, and you'll look like it was original thought from you, you'll feel like a genius, you'll feel really proud of yourself, and your whole external world will look really, really pretty. Wi-Fi and Pinterest. Just YouTube it. Just Oprah Winfrey book it. Just look it up. Figure it out, change some stuff, make yourself feel better, and you'll look like a genius from the outside. But on the inside, where Oprah can't touch, where your self-help self book can't get to, where no matter how fancy the design of whatever you're putting on your wall can't touch, Jesus says, I'm after that part. I want that part. And here's what God is saying 2,000 years ago to them, and he's saying it to us. You want to change from the inside out? It's not going to come through Oprah. It's not going to come through a self-help book. It's not going to come through a, a really pretty house that you designed from Pinterest or the, your next project in your backyard, man. It's going to come this way. You shall receive power when I come upon you and you will be my witnesses or my, my martyrs. You will be my martyrs. The people that die for me as you display Christ, you will literally have me with you. Wow. So when we're like, Jesus, fix it, fix it, fix it. God, please fix it. God replies, oh, absolutely. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get it on right now. I'm going to get right into jumping into your stuff and working on you. I'm all about working on it. And then we respond, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, God, wait. Whoa, I didn't know you were going to do it that way. I'm, I, I'm not ready. I thought you were just going to go do it. Can't you just fix it? You mean fix me? I'll take a pass. I'll wait. But God says, uh-uh, no. No, I want to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to start by changing you from the inside out. Well, why can't there just be no, no, more, no more racial tensions? Because we are the racial tension. Hello. Oh, can you, God, can't you just, and then we all get along. Uh-huh. Get along. I'm going to work on you. But God, our government's corrupt. We are the government. The government is not alive. It's not an entity floating around. This isn't Hollywood. The government isn't the foggy clouds. It's people. He's going to get in us. He is answering. This is good news. This is good news. It's tough news, but it's good news. So when people see your life, and they remember who you used to be. You still with me? When they see your life, they remember who you used to be. When you were without Christ, dead rights, selfish, arrogant, all the things you did, running around, running, some of us uh, uh, living impure lives. And then they see what you now are, redeemed and free in Christ. You know what the word of God says? The whole heavens freak out with hallelujahs. It says that, that that's my word. It says that when one repented man or sinner comes back to 
um, a right relationship with God, the whole heavens rejoice. That's a little bit more accurate. So just, just like what, this is what Peter does, right? So the crowd was saying, hey, Peter, weren't you the one that cut off old, I'm making up a name because I don't know his name. Weren't you, weren't you the one that cut off old Billy's ear about a month ago? Wasn't that you, Peter? Weren't you also the one? I saw you. Weren't you the one that was denying you swore Jesus wasn't real? And Peter's like, yeah, that was me. That was me. But now I've been born again and I have the Holy Spirit inside of me and I'm living for God. That's the hope of the world. Wow. That guy, that guy, the one that, that guy who physically assaulted that person. Do you, we do this all the time. I'm going to go youth, youth pastor on you again because high schoolers always say the Bible's boring. So I have to do little illustrations. So let's make it real. These people were crazy. These disciples were bad, bad news. Okay. Peter customized ear off guys. Let's put this into American context. This is, this is, this is assault. You go to jail for a long time. You cut people's ears off. Okay. Like, isn't that the guy that mutilated someone's ear? And isn't this the guy that denied and swore against Christ? And Peter's like, confidently, this is me. I'm reborn. You even get confidence. So some of us who have shame and guilt, this is even, this is just, this is not even, this is extra. Some of you who are struggling with shame and guilt because of your past, it's because you haven't recognized who God is yet. Because when God gets a hold of your life, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You would be like Peter saying, that was me, but this is who I am now. I've been born again. You want to know what's really cool? I have another side note. You want to know what's super cool? That same Peter, the next time in scripture, he ever speaks about Jesus again from that moment. So the last time he spoke and he denied Jesus, right? The next time we have recorded in scripture that Jesus, that, uh, that Peter talks to a crowd about Jesus, 3,000 people were saved from the inside out. That's who God used, a man who mutilated someone as, an, as, as, as a vessel to bring 3,000 people in an instant into an inside-out relationship. God is a good God. So if you're wondering where God is at in your circumstances, I'm telling you right now, he's right there. He hasn't left you or forsaken you. He's right there. He's working on things from the inside. So don't worry if your outside circumstances aren't changing yet. He's doing a good work. Here's your next takeaway. I got to keep it moving. God's primary way of working things out within the world is an inside out job through his gathered children within the church. Therefore, God fixes it by fixing us as we become the willing agents of Christ's love, hope, grace, forgiveness, and healing to the world. We got about we got 15 more minutes if you guys can just lock in we got important things to talk about now maybe you're thinking this morning yeah i love the church and i love some of my favorite pastors and teachers and missionaries they're awesome i love billy graham mother Teresa, she's my favorite right you whatever she's my hero whatever it is you may be somebody gets really excited about the whole global church but like i've already told you this is important guys you made the book you are in the book, not just Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. You made the book. You're in it. You're not a bystander. You're a part of the body. You count. You matter. You matter just as much as all these people you look up to. Like, do you know how many cells there are in the body? Trillions and trillions and trillions of cells. Okay. And they're constantly reproducing themselves and reproducing themselves. Like the body is literally insanely awesome. Every single cell counts and God made the church. And create the body in order to illustrate that each and every one of us count. It's a picture. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're discounting yourself. Because we have people that are doing that. If you're discounting yourself, 
You don't understand your purpose. You don't feel very worthy. You're not very fond of who you are. You believe you don't bring anything to the table. You're not gifted. I'm not gifted. I'm just common. I'm not talented. If you struggle and you feel inadequate and you're just a common person with no gifts, I want to encourage you right now. Listen to me. Christ and his love made you with a purpose and you are very special to him. Now, I'm not talking to everyone because everyone is not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, you are so special, so rich, so equipped. You just got to take the next step of saying, what is my purpose? What is my calling? What are my gifts? And how do I activate them? Now, did you know in Acts chapter 4, um, verse 13, just a few months after Jesus said, I'm not going to change culture the way you want it. We just looked at that. Did you know that Peter and John got in some big trouble because they were speaking in Jesus' name? Do you know that? They got in big trouble. Super big trouble, okay? Um, you, you see, they had healed someone in Jesus' name, um, and they were told, don't you ever preach in Jesus' name again. So in, um, in verse 3 of that chapter in Acts, um, these bigwigs basically at that time, they were like, hey, you guys are just some Galileans. You're just some common, ordinary men. You guys are total idiots thinking that you can talk in Jesus' name and do something. But then guess what happened? Just a couple of verses later. John and Peter were doing amazing, bold work, healing people. And guess what? This is the beautiful conclusion that those same bigwigs came to. But then they realized because of the boldness that they had, they were truly with Jesus. I don't care how common your life has been up to this point. If you let Jesus get a hold of your life, you will have a boldness and people will know that you walk with the Lord. And that is good, good news. Peter and John are just as common as we were, fishers of men. But what caught people's attention was not how fancy they spoke or their clothes or their houses, but it was their boldness and confidence in Christ. That is what matters. And that same, that same radical presence of boldness can be yours and it can be mine. And that is what Christ offers us. So, don't, so you may discount yourself from time to time. You may say, man, I love Pastor Brandon. He's such a good, he's a good talker. He really inspires me. I love Pastor Jack. He's really good at that. I, I love my favorite pastor on this. Oh, ooh, this person does great work in the missions. You can do great work. You are special. You are gifted. And God has a plan for you. So in other words, you don't need to be anybody else. You need to be simply yet supernaturally in Christ, you, you are enough. Wait a minute. You guys smell that? Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in the triumphal uh, procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul is saying that we smell like Jesus. Are you kidding? This, how can you ever think the Bible is boring? Listen, despite your brokenness, your sin, and your shame, you have the aroma of the God of the universe. Come on, folks. Jeez, we smell like Christ. Hmm. Trust me, God is going to use you. He's going to use me. He's going to use you. The problem is we don't always know how God is using us. And I believe that's actually a, a, a gift from God. You're like, I can't see God, what you're doing. You don't need to know everything God's doing. Let, let, let me make my argument. Because if you knew every single way God was using you, you'd be arrogant, narcissistic, and probably super unpleasant to be around. I have no idea how many people I've impacted. And good, gracious, good God, I don't need to know. 
So I can say focused on what God has for me to do. And he wants you to stay focused on what he has for you to do. Now, trust me, God's going to use you, but you got to be positioned for him to use you. And we're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. Did you know that there are certain flowers that only emit smell and fragrance? This is really cool. Did you know there's only um, certain, there's some flowers that only emit smells and fragrance when they are literally crushed and wiped out? Did you know that? Sister Vanessa knows that because guys, Sister Vanessa knows everything about flowers, okay? <laughs> they literally don't smell at all until they're wiped out and crushed. Now, of course, we don't want to be wiped out and crushed, right? We don't want to be wiped out and crushed because we don't want things to be hard. But guess what? The Bible promises life is going to be hard. Do you know why? Because life's going to be hard because I'm an idiot sometimes. So I make life harder for myself and, and you're an idiot sometimes. So you're going to make life harder for yourself. And then other people are going to be idiots and they're going to affect you. And life's going to be hard sometimes. And sometimes nobody's being an idiot. The world just sucks because it's broken and life is hard. But God promises, even though we're going to get wiped out in this world, the more we're crushed, the more we smell like Jesus. The more we lean into this crushing atmosphere and trust God, the world is going to smell the fragrance and the aroma of the God of the universe on you because of how you respond to being crushed. So it's not if you're going to be crushed in your marriage. No, no. I saw at the conference, I went to the marriage conference and that couple has been married for 55 years and they just look so happy. That's what I want. Oh, stop it. They have had trials and tribulations. And when you celebrate a couple for 50 years being married, you're celebrating a couple that has went through hell and back and chose to stay and develop a deeper, robust love. Let me say it again. It's not if you get crushed by life, by marriage, by family, by adversities with your kids by money by finances it's how you respond to being crushed if you run away and you jump off of the conveyor belt of your holiness that god's doing you will smell like the world and you will stink but if you stay crushed and you trust god you will have the fragrance of jesus all over you that's what we want right that's what we want Ephesians, now let's, let's keep this intention as we look again at Ephesians verses 1 through 2. Because uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 2. We're almost done. Stay with me. I therefore, a prisoner for the, hopefully you see more now, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now what I love about what's happening right here in this first verse is that Paul is basically playing coach. And he's encouraging us as the players. I want you to see this. Because this reminds me of a time when I used to be a basketball coach. Now listen, I played college basketball. I played point guard and, and, and I loved it. And then I got to play at a pretty high level. And so when I transitioned to being a coach, it was a really difficult transition. Because here's the thing, I want to win. And the, the way that I know how to win is to play. And it was, I was not a good coach in the beginning. Because I wanted to be on the court. And I was not doing all that I was supposed to do as a coach. But once I kind of figured it out, and I figured out how to trans take that, pro that, that passion and to funnel it as a coach, things really started to take upward. So Paul is basically saying, I've already experienced the Lord. I've gotten victory. I've overcome. And I'm going to be your coach because I want you now to learn how to win the game. How many of us know that we need to be coaching people and we need to be coached? You need to be encouraging people and you need to be encouraged. 
Did you know that after, this is, this, is, this is true, okay? Did you know that after about three or four years, most people don't learn that many new things in the Bible? And they don't need to. Whoa, 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 Pastor. I'll say it again. Did you know that after about four years of walking with the Lord, most people don't learn anything brand new from the Bible, nor is that the most important thing? Here's what's important. As you keep hearing the Word of God, day by day and year by year amongst your church family, what becomes important is you taking it deeper. I'm reading the same verses I was reading when I was 19. They're getting deeper in me. God wants to deepen you. He wants to deepen you. He wants you to take your humility deeper. You haven't, you've heard about humility before. He now wants you to go deeper. You know that you've heard about being gentle. But now he wants you to go deeper. You've heard about love in church. I don't have anything new to tell you. Like, oh, Pastor Brad, like, oh, Pastor Brandon, you really preached a good sermon today. Oh, this pastor preached. Did they really say something you didn't know? Or are they taking you deeper? He wants you, I want you to take your love deeper. I want you to take your patience deeper. It's about encouraging each other deeper. So here's the question. If I were to ask, take it seriously too. If I were to ask your husband, wives in here, or your wife, or your spouse, or a friend if you're not married, a very, very close friend, by the way. Rather, you embody humility, gentleness, love, and patience. Would your spouse say yes? With a lie detector test on. Not because that's what they're politically supposed to say because they don't want to have marriage problems. Would, they, would your friend, hooked up to a lie detector test, give you a yes or a no? Write it down. Now, did you know that these four characteristics, gentleness, humility, patience, love, these are the byproducts of a life that's transformed by the truth revealed in chapters one through three. Did you know that? It becomes really easy to be quiet and humble when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's easy to forgive, repent, confess when your eyes are on Jesus. It's when you take your eyes off of Jesus that we want to run in the darkness, and that's where things break down. Let's look at verse three. Eager, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Remember, Romans, uh, Romans 18 says that if people aren't, being uh, people aren't treating you right, that's not your problem. What is your concern is are you being eager to maintain peace? You can only control you, not other people. So here's another question for you. It's not on the screen because it's from last week. How seriously have you taken your, eager, your Ephesians eager project? Are you being eager to maintain the peace from your side? irrespective of what the person is doing. You can't control them. You can control you. It's not too late. And I want to encourage you to get going in that. Verse 4 through 6, we're almost there. Stay focused. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what Paul is basically saying is that we were created to be so united we cannot afford to be divided anymore. I'm gonna say it again. We have been created to be so united as one body, no longer can we afford to be divided. So I'm gonna ask you the same question I asked at the beginning of the sermon. Do you have any speckle of division, animosity, hurt in this church at Redemption City Church? From one of us as leaders? From one of your brothers and sisters? If you have a speckle, you need to be eager to go to your brother or sister and to go establish peace because we're the hope of the world and we need to smell like Jesus. We can't be divided. 
it afflicts the whole body. It's just, it's fine. I, I, I'm just a little offended, but I'll get over it in time. And nobody really knows that I'm offended. I can process this on my own. No, you're hurting yourself. You're affecting others. Don't do that. Did you know that when the body doesn't understand itself and it starts to kind of attack itself, really weird and bad things happen? Did you know that a simplistic definition of cancer is the body attacking itself? Did you know that? Isn't it crazy that cancer is one of the most prevalent diseases going on right now in our country? You think that's an accident? We are living in a time in a physical world perspective where cancer is running rampant in people's bodies, attacking itself. And at the same time, are we not living right now in a time where the body of Christ is attacking itself? This denomination hates this denomination. This church doesn't like this church. You're my competition. You think that's an accident? You don't think the God of the universe is holding attention? As our cancer cases are increasing physically, our cancer in our church body is increasing. Where's God at? Why is the cancer changing? Change. He's trying to change us, the church. <laughs> Both are cancers. And the church one is the worst one. The other one is physical. And at the, the worst it can do is injure life. And you go be with Christ. This cancer in the church is wrecking things on an eternal perspective. We can't do this any longer, folks. What do you think God is doing and trying to say? Consider this, when you go to get cancer treatment, chemotherapy, and they do all the things they do, the goal is that they want your body at the cellular level to communicate better. And when they are successful and the body communicates better at the cellular level, what happens? Vitality and vibrancy comes back. So when we dwell in unity and in peace and we come back together and we reconcile and our cancer is eradicated, vibrancy and vitality comes back verse 7 through 10 we're almost done but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift therefore it says when he ascended on high i I, gotta get this he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions the earth. Now, I remember reading this as a younger man, and I was like, this is really weird. So I want to I, I make this simple for us today in just a moment. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul, again, is putting the focus on Christ. Okay, He's putting the focus on Christ um, during this teaching to the church so that we would understand that Christ is the head. Christ is the head, and he's done all the work. Now, here we go. Ready? He ascended and he gave good gifts. But I don't want you to forget this. Because I was like, oh, he ascended. He gave good gifts. Huh. But don't forget that he first ascended and paid for it all. Don't forget that. He went to the depths for us. He was buried for us. He took our sin. He took your shame. He took your transgressions. And he took it to hell. Did you know that? He wasn't just, Jesus did not just cease to exist for three days. He took your sin, your shame, your transgressions, your ugliness, and he took it straight to hell. He went into hell. He took it down there and he left it there. He left it there. Did you realize that? He went there and he took your sin. He left it there. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And he took it there. Yet Christ never sinned, but still he died for you. He didn't sin. He died for me and for you. So let me say it again. Jesus died. He took our sin and our shame and our transgression. He brought it into hell and he left it there and he paid for it all. 
But because he was innocent, hell could not hold him down. Remember that song? Hell could not hold him down. Hell couldn't hold him there. He was perfect. He took our sin down into hell, but he couldn't hold them there. So he left hell. The only one, the God man is the only one that can go into hell and leave hell. We go to hell. We stay in hell. God goes to hell. He leaves hell. He took our sin. He left it there. Praise Christ for what he did. Therefore, he lifted himself out of hell, led captives free and went around giving everybody good gifts. Giving everybody good, good gifts gifts and now he's telling us sit and know that i am god sit and know what i've done and now go and be all that i've called you to be i've given you amazing power to be my witnesses let's wrap things up right here in verse seven but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift this is our last verse but grace was given wow to each one of us we made the book according to the measure of Christ's gift. We have the opportunity to activate our spiritual gifts, folks. We have the opportunity to activate our spiritual gifts. And I just want to say right now, each and every one of you have them. You have natural gifts and you have supernatural gifts. I want you to say that I am gifted. gifted. Say I am gifted. gifted. Both naturally naturally. and and supernaturally. Each one of us have God-given talents and gifts. And when we're reborn again, we get to activate those gifts, especially the supernatural ones. The whole world has natural gifts. God in his common grace lets, them, lets us use them. But when we're reborn again, we get to activate the spiritual ones. And I can't wait to talk about those things. We can't do it right now. So rather you're a mom, stay-at-home mom, or you have a career, no matter what you're doing, you have so many gifts that God has planted in you that he wants you to activate. And we're going to go on a journey of learning what that's about. So here's what's going to happen as we get ready to close. For the next two sermons, Pastor Jack is going to be taking us and we're going to be taking a little bit of a pause in Ephesians as we go and think a little bit deeper about what does it mean to have gentleness and humility and love so we can really get that. Okay. And then after these two weeks, I'm going to come, I'm going to be back preaching and we're going to spend two sermons on this. What are your natural gifts? What are your spiritual gifts? Do you know what they are? And then do you know how to activate them so you can be satisfied, fully you, not trying to be somebody else, not looking at other people. Maybe I should do what they, we're going to discover who you are, what your gifts are. And then after that, we're going to have a spiritual gift workshop where you learn how to activate these things, folks. And so we have a lot, a lot of good things to do. And so as we get ready to stand right now, Sister Vanessa gets ready to lead us in worship. I want you to know just a few things that you are loved by the God of the universe. And in his love, he gave his son who died for you, but he didn't just die for you. He went to hell and took all of your sin and shame and he left it there. And in his perfection, he left hell, gave everybody good gifts. He gave you gifts. He gave me gifts. He wants you to activate them. And I want you to have faith that that can happen in your life. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship God.